0: Amen. Thank you, Dale. Let's pray. Father, we come today and we need your Word. We need it to transform our minds, our hearts. We need it to shape our thinking. We need it in order to remind us what is true and what is false. We need it to lead us in the right path. And so today, would you use this text and our concluding message on the mortification of sin, to bring to conclusion all the things that You have taught us and then also propel us onward into further steps of righteousness, further steps of following You. We love You and we want You to teach us now, so we're ready, and here we are, to receive Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible and go to that passage, Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we'll be in our study today. We're drawing to close this Sunday our series on the mortification of sin. And in the next um, next season of College Park, we'll be moving on to a new book study. Uh, that will be looking at the book of Exodus next week. We'll uh, start into this book that is going to show us a lot about God the first uh, seven messages on Exodus 1 to 6 will be entitled The God Who Hears. You know the book of Exodus is all about God. It's it's a defining book in terms of his relationship with his people. Think of all the times in the Old Testament for instance that you hear God say something like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. The idea of God being the Exodus delivering God is a defining Um, Marker in terms of his relationship with his people and so we'll jump into that next week That'll take us all the way through next year all the way up to live 13 We'll be spending some time in this uh, great Old Testament book So today we're drawing to conclusion live 12 as Mark mentioned and I just want to acknowledge something I I serve a great Staff and uh, I'm a part of a great team and behind the scenes were some folks who were responsible for material that you benefited from that being uh, Mark Skydema and Gary Meeks, who drove the content that you had as small group leaders. Scott McColgan down there in the, uh, my, to my right, lower right-hand corner, who drives all of our video content, produces the DVD, and then Greg Pilcher who put all the materials together in a way that made sense and was usable. And these folks served you well as a church, didn't they? I'm so grateful for them. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I get to serve with some incredible people, often behind the scenes, and it's such a joy to see them use their gifts, and I hope you appreciate all of the folks who use their gifts so effectively and so well. You know, nine months ago we dreamed of what it would be like to have a conversation about killing sin, about what it would be like at at varying levels, whether young or old, just to think about what would happen if as a church we started talking about how to mortify sin and taking it seriously, and I'll tell you I'm just thrilled with what I've seen over the last four to five weeks and hope that just continues for us in the life of our church last sunday um, a, a mom came up to me an appropriately proud mother and she said i gotta show you something on my phone and so she showed me a picture and the picture was of her seventh grade daughter's locker at a middle school in the area here do you remember what it was like to be in middle school remember that Remember decorating your locker? Remember all those feelings you had, the peer pressure things and things like that? Well, this young lady had enough courage to put this in her locker. Right in the corner. See that? The battle is within. Daily I must fight. Death comes from sin killed only by Christ's might. My heart just was overjoyed with that. Here's why. Because imagine, adults, how many sin issues you could have been saved from if in your teenage years you got the mortification of sin and started making it work. Wouldn't that have been amazing? And I also want to just express gratitude for some parents who have their 7th grade kids in a worship service who get this so that their lives can be transformed. You see, it's a beautiful thing when you begin to take sin seriously. And at every level of our church, we want to see all of us kill sin. Otherwise, as John Owen said, it will be killing us. The vision, essentially, is to simultaneously to to do two things. On the first hand, is to extinguish a passion to follow sin while simultaneously igniting a passion to follow Jesus. And you have to do both at the exact same time. In order for us to follow Jesus effectively, we have to find ways to defeat the power of the passion that we have for sin. The last four weeks, we've looked at a number of things. First week, we looked at sanctification, how it's different than justification and glorification, what it meant to be progressively sanctified. Week two, we looked at the battle on the inside as it relates to our position in Christ and the fact that there's a war going on, that the problem is our sin and the problem is within. And then we looked at Romans chapter 6 and what it means to be dead to sin and alive to Christ and this positional righteousness that we've been given and what it means practically to live in light of that. And then last week, we talked about the significant role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what it means to walk in the Spirit. I hope that you, like me, I had a lot of thoughts this week about, so what does it mean to walk in the Spirit today? And I hope that you continue to discover what it means not only to kill sin, but to do it in the, under the authority and the power of the Spirit of Christ that's within you. Today what we're going to look at is this. Here's everything we're going to talk about in one sentence. If you learn one thing today, I hope it's this, because this is all we're going to talk about. It's this. Killing sin is fueled by daily decisions related to the spiritual disciplines. Let me say that again. Killing sin is fueled by daily decisions related to the spiritual disciplines. In other words, what is the long-term hope? What's the long-term success of this thing called the mortification of sin? It relates very specifically and very practically to the decision that you will make tomorrow about whether or not you're going to spend time receiving the empowerment that comes by the Spirit to the spiritual disciplines. A friend of mine says this that the challenge with the Christian life is that it's so daily. Every single day, we have to make decisions that relate to what it means to mortify sin. So I, I need you to understand that just going through this series is not enough. It's not enough. It needs to translate into individual decisions that we make every single day about receiving God's power and defeating the reality and the control that the sin within us has over our lives. So, first thing I want to look at this morning in the text is this idea of the power and the be- and the battle that is beyond ourselves. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, this is the very familiar text about the armor of God. And what Paul is doing here in this passage is helping us understand how to live out something he's talked about earlier. You have your Bible there in Ephesians 6. Look back at Ephesians 5, because what Paul is doing here is explaining how you are to do what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1, very important text, says this, "...therefore be," what's the next word? "...imitators." Be imitators of God as beloved children." Further, if you skip ahead to verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. So what Paul wants us to do is understand that we are to be imitators of God. We're to walk as children of the light. If you were to go on in chapter 5, you'd see that then he gives a series of specific commands as to how we are to be imitators of God, given our particular positions in life. So he talks to, to wives, then he talks to husbands, Um, Then he begins talking to children, he talks to parents, he talks to slaves, he talks to masters. And and the point is, is that you imitate God in the realm in which you are in. And then he gives each of those people, those groups, particular commands. For example, he says to husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. That's the command, that's how you express being an imitator of God. Well then he comes to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 And he picks up, how do you actually do this? So, how does this actually work? And what does it mean to live this out? So, be an imitator, husband, love your wife, how? And he gives us these these verses about what it means to be empowered by the Spirit, by virtue of the armor of God. Verse 10 is a concluding word. He says, finally. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. First thing I want you to know in this text about this power and this battle is that we must be empowered beyond ourselves. What Paul is trying to do here is to show you that there is something outside of yourself that you need in terms of empowerment, but there's also, we'll see this in a moment, something beyond yourselves in terms of the nature of this battle. So while you're dealing with your individual sin issues on a personal level, Paul means to expand our horizon a bit and help us see that we need help, and secondly, that we need to be a bit alarmed. Now, the command, be strong, is an imperative verb with a passive voice, which means he's commanding you to do something by virtue of what you are to receive, So while it's a command, it's something that you must decide to do, it stresses the idea of receiving strength from an outside source. So you're to do this by opening yourself up for the empowerment that you need. And further, since it's in the present tense... The idea is that this must be done continually. So the idea is that I'm continually opening myself up to the empowerment of God. I'm to be strong in the Lord. I'm to receive the power of His might. There's something that we have to receive, something that impacts us, and we are to open ourselves up to it. Now the best analogy that I can come up with in terms of how this works practically is the analogy of a river. So when you think of the spiritual disciplines, the things that we do, in the moment we'll see things like prayer, Bible reading, memorization, um, journaling, fasting, being a part of worship services and community. All of those things, we put all that together, those things result in you being able to grow spiritually. How so? Well, here's what happens. Imagine that God's grace is like a river with a significant current in it. Now, not some lazy river, but I mean a a fast moving river, right? And imagine that you're standing on the edge of that river bank, looking at the river as it's moving on and, and, and this fast flowing current. You don't get the benefit from the current of the river until you do what? Until you jump in. Once you jump into the river, then the current is able to move you along. And as you're swimming downstream, you may be doing some things and paddling but the reality is it's the current that's moving you along so you could wave to people on the shore and say look how fast i'm going and everyone would know that you're going fast but it's because of the current that's moving you along And friends, what happens, the spiritual disciplines, they put us into the river of God's current of His grace. So when you spend time in the Word, when you memorize Scripture, when you pray, when you think about what you're thinking, you throw yourself into God's current that He can move you along. And the problem is that far too many people stand on the bank of the river and they don't jump in. And you need the power that comes by jumping into the river. So every morning, you're going to have to make a decision to what extent am I going to jump into this river of God's free-flowing current of grace. So there needs to be an empowerment that is beyond ourselves, that spiritual growth takes place as you put yourself in a position to be carried along by a power greater than yourself. That's why you made a You made a really good decision in coming to church today. You know why? Because you put yourself in a position to receive God's grace. This is, for some of you, maybe the first time you've been in church in a long time. You did a really good thing. I'm glad you've come. Because by being here, you open yourself up to the possibility of receiving spiritual empowerment. So the first thing is, is that we need a power beyond ourselves. Here's the second thing in the text. It also tells us that we are in a battle beyond ourselves. So if the first thing is to remind us of the power that's available to us, the second thing in the text is to alarm us a little bit as to the world in which we live. We'll come back to verse 11. Skip ahead to verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying that we're in a struggle, that word is taken from a wrestling context, that we're not wrestling just with human forces, that there's a wrestling, there's a fight that's taking place in our world, and the nature of what we are dealing with is spiritual warfare that is multi-layered. And so he says there is rulers, there's authorities, there's cosmic powers, and Don't make too much of that designation. We don't know exactly what those things refer to. But Paul's point is, there's a lot going on that you don't see. That the world in which you are living is only a small piece of a much bigger issue, a bigger spiritual battle. In fact, he says that the battle is against the spiritual forces of evil, a kind of laundry list term to describe all that's involved with this spiritual warfare. And finally, He talks about this arena of battle, this world that we live in, which seems, he says, like this present darkness. Doesn't that aptly fit our world and our culture, this present darkness? I just even last evening, as I quickly turned the channel, just am always amazed at the new decadent offerings of programming that come online in the fall season. And Just when I think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. And just realize that all of these things are, I was thinking of you, thinking of me and my family, and these things that are just constantly assaulting the souls of people that I love. And we live in a dark world And what Paul is reminding us here is something that we need to really consider and think about, that we are not in a neutral environment. We are in a hostile, this present darkness sort of environment, and yet the real battle is in heavenly places. That there's a, there's a battle that's taking place. So when you, when you put all these together, you get a pretty clear picture, and that Paul wants us to see more than what is right in front of us. He wants us to see more than just what is earthly. He wants us to know that there are spiritual forces at work behind the world in which we live in. He wants us to realize that every day that you enter this world, you enter hostile territory. And also for us to realize that sin is not just an indiscretion, that sin is siding with the dark side. Friends, we need to be aware that we live in a dangerous time. We'll see this in a moment, but let me just highlight this. If you neglect to spend time with the Lord in the various disciplines that throw you into the current of God's grace and you just simply allow culture to come at you, your soul will shrivel and your heart will go places that will alarm you. So understanding this spiritual battle affects how you view the things that lead to spiritual progress. It means that the motivation for practicing some of these spiritual disciplines is not just so you can be better than average. It's not so you can just be an exceptional Christian. It's not so that you can somehow be a super Christian. Listen to me. You need to engage in these spiritual disciplines for the survival of your very soul if you're not careful and you, you neglect the care of your soul your soul will leak and you will find your place yourself in horrible places thinking awful things doing terrible things and it simply happened because you didn't do the right thing every single day paul wants us to realize here our vulnerableness and our powerlessness my goal today is not to guilt you into jumping into this river but rather I want, to, I want to motivate you by helping you understand that without a regular receiving of God's power, you will never be able to kill sin. The problem is a little bit of our mindset, in that often we view these spiritual disciplines like dessert at a meal. When you go out to eat, I won't ask you to raise your hand, that might be too revealing. How many of you always order dessert? In our house, it's sometimes, maybe, if it's like really chocolatey and it's like death by chocolate or it's a cheesecake, maybe, right? But if it's some little fruit thing, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Cut up bananas at home, you know, so I'm not going to do that. But the reality is when the meal comes and the waiter or waitress says, would you like dessert? And, you know, they tell you what they have and all, It's, it's, it's optional, right? You could do it, you could not do it, right? But what wasn't optional in the meal was a beverage, you needed to have something to drink. The problem is, is that we treat the spiritual disciplines like they're dessert instead of treating them like they're water. The spiritual disciplines for us, friends, need to be viewed like water. Very necessary. Neglected for three days, yeah, you're in trouble. Dessert, come or go, you can live without it. But water, you have to have. Otherwise, you're going to be in serious trouble. And, and I find that many believers don't view their time in terms of the spiritual disciplines like that, it just doesn't have that level of priority. It's something that would be nice to do. They could add it to their goals for, for a year. They could become maybe a little bit better in this regard, but we need to see it as something that is absolutely vital and without it that there is a scary possibility of where our heart and, lo- our hearts and lives could go. So there's a power beyond ourselves. There's also a battle beyond ourselves. Secondly, What does it mean to fight this fight of faith? How do we fight it? Well, according to the text, we fight it by faith and hard work. What I want to show you is not only that there's this power without ourselves, but also this battle without ourselves, there is this dynamic of how we approach this battle is on the parallel tracks of both faith or belief and hard work and lots of effort. And what I want to call you today to do is to two things first i want to call you to believe what god's word says and then secondly i want to raise your expectations and call you to get to work to make hard decisions that yield wonderful fruit but to decide look i am going to do what needs to be done there's a parallel track of both belief and hard work. We talked about it last week a little bit with the definition of what it meant to walk in the Spirit. Listen for the parallel tracks. A Spirit-dependent way of life that involves believing the promises of God and choosing to do what is right. So you need both. You've got to believe the promises of God and choose to do what's right. And so we see this in, in the text This morning in Ephesians chapter 6, that in the first place, we are to believe what the Bible says about us, what it says about sin, and what it says about victory. And and Paul talks about this in other places like Ephesians 4, about putting on the new self, which doesn't mean that you change yourself like you put on something new. It means that you live in light of who and what you really are. It means that every day, those who believe in Jesus are to live through the power and the identity of what comes through Jesus Christ. And where that shows up in Ephesians 6 is in regards to the armor of God, which arguably is the most flannel series of verses in the entire Bible, right? So I know you've seen this at least once or twice in your lifetime. So let's talk about what these are. All right, in the first place is the belt of truth. What is that? Well, the belt of truth, he says, to put on, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? It is knowing and appropriating the truth of who you are in Christ and developing the practice of speaking and living in the truth. So you need to know what this book says because this is the only thing that really contains God's truth. This becomes the plumb line of what is right and what is wrong. You won't know what truth is until, unless you know this word. And you need to know this in order so that you can live in the truth. So we have the belt of truth. Secondly, we have the breastplate of righteousness. What is this? This is understanding and loving the reality of what Paul talked about in Romans 8 and verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you live in this positional reality, I am cleansed, I'm forgiven, I'm a new man, I'm a new woman. We live in the glory of what it means to be declared righteous. And you embrace God, you have made me a new person. Next, third, the shoes of gospel readiness, a reminder that this battle is not just about us, that essentially God wants us to be holy so that we can be on mission. Because the world doesn't want to hear about the gospel if it doesn't work in your life. And the gospel is more than just knowing where you go when you die. The gospel means that you have a new life in Christ, not only in the future, but you have a new life in Christ now. Fourth, the shield of faith. In in the New Testament times, the soldiers would have a a shield nearly the size of a soldier. Large enough that he could duck behind it so that when the enemy uh, hurled their arrows out, they could hide behind that shield. Can you imagine what that moment was like? You're hiding behind a four to five foot shield as you're hearing arrows just plunging into that, 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 that shield. And Paul says that you have this shield of faith. A call to trust in God's power and His assurance about our new identity in Christ. So when hardship comes, when temptations come, you hide behind the shield of faith. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed against Him that day. And you hold firm in the midst of trial and difficulty and temptation. You believe the promises of God. You cling to them. You hold on to them. You don't give up because you are underneath this shield of faith. Helmet of salvation, protecting the most vital and vulnerable part of the human body, the head. And protecting it with the greatest of all terminologies, that being salvation. Romans 8, talking about that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why is that in the Bible? Because when you know what your future destiny is, and you know that God intends everything for your good, then you are free to do risky, God-centered things for His glory. Next, the sword of the spirit, like a, a small sword that every Roman soldier carried with him god 's word is the believer 's primary means of offensive and defensive combat hebrews four twelve The Word of God is living and active. You know what that means? It means that this book is alive. So you're reading through it, and you come to a passage that you've read hundreds of times. But because of the circumstances in your life, or because of what's going on in terms of your, the overall spiritual pr- progression of your life and your maturity, suddenly you see something different here. And although you've read it, you've never read this. That's what it means. The Bible is living and active. Further, it tells us in Hebrews 4 that it's sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, as and a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Without this sword, you can't know your own heart. And so, therefore, it's incredibly vital, incredibly important. And then finally, we have the, the dynamic of what it means to pray. Oftentimes, this is neglected praying at all times, verse 18, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So it's not often thought of as a weapon, but what prayer is here, friends, it's the air that Christian soldiers breathe. It means that they are in constant communion with their Creator, constantly talking to Him, constantly praying, constantly asking for His help. So when you put all of these together, what we find here is a, a beautiful semblance of the spiritual resources that God has given to us in terms of the armor of God. This describes who and what we are. And so spiritual warfare every single day involves believing what the Bible says about truth and righteousness and faith and salvation and and our Great Commission mission. It means you believe what God says about His own Word and the power of prayer. It means that that you rely on the resources that God has given to you and you believe in them. The fact of the matter is, if you don't believe in the spiritual resources that I just identified for you, you won't spend time in them. You won't use them unless you really believe them. So daily spiritual progress is rooted first and foremost in belief. So there's a faith element here. Secondly, though, there is a a dynamic of being aggressive in our actions. What I want to do today is to try and raise even your own expectations of your experience. I want to call you today to aggressive, intentional steps where you put yourself in the current of God's grace. Notice all the action words in verses 10 through 18 words that imply some level of intentionality in verse 10 he says be strong in verse 11 put on the armor in verse 12 take up the whole armor rather verse 13 verse 14 stand therefore verse 16 take up verse 17 take verse 18 keep alert these are words intended to motivate you to do something there's a sense of urgency and this is where honestly many of us have problems because we don't view the weapons of warfare or we don't view the spiritual disciplines as important as they really are. We sometimes view them as an optional part of our lives. Something that is nice, but not entirely necessary. There's a great little book that's just come out by Kevin DeYoung. I quoted it last week. I'm quoting it again. It's called The Hole in Our Holiness. This book actually is creating a sanctification moment in our own household as my wife and I are fighting over who gets to read it first. So she's got it in her nightstand, then it goes to mine, then it goes back to hers, and right now I'm hiding it from her so she can't find it. So I'm not really, but I, I I'm, this is a great book and I would commend it to you. And young talks about the exceptionalism that often we look at sanctification we look at it through exceptional eyes meaning that we don't see holiness we don't see sanctification as something that all of us should do we see it as something that only the really spiritual people do and then he uses what i consider to be a little bit of an unfortunate metaphor he uses a metaphor of camping to make that point and as a camper i'm slightly offended by what he says but you should it's it's rather funny so let me read it to you he says this i've never understood the attraction of camping Some of you are really going to say amen to this. Although I have plenty of friends and relatives who are campers, it always seems strange to me that someone would work hard all year so they could go live outside for a week. (laughs) I get the the togetherness stuff, but why do it in tents with a community toilet? Packing up the van like Noah's Ark and driving to a mosquito-infested campground where you reconstitute an inconvenient version of your kitchen and your bedroom doesn't make sense. Who decided that vacation should be like normal life, only harder? (laughs) I, I enjoy this, but that's all right. So camping may be great for other people, but I'm content to never talk about it, never think about it, and never do it. Knock yourself out with the cooler and collapsible chairs, but camping is not required of me, and I'm fine without it. Some of you say amen to that. And then he says this, he turns it. Is it possible that you look at personal holiness like I look at camping? It's fine for other people. You sort of respect those who make their lives harder than they have to be, but it's really not your thing. That's a great question, and one we really need to think about. Because too often we view the pursuit of sanctification or we view the spiritual disciplines as something that is optional, nice to do, but not entirely necessary. Oh, don't get me wrong. Sometimes this changes radically. I've seen this all the time. Someone gets really scared because of uh, something that's going on in their marriage, their life, or their personal world. They they, they get stuck in a sin issue. They they suddenly feel the consequences of sin. Oh yeah, then suddenly now they've got a motivation. They're, They're motivated by crisis. But let me tell you about that motivation. Motivation by crisis usually lasts until the pressure is off. And then... The old patterns return. For some of you, Live 12 has created that kind of crisis. And you know what you're going to have to decide now? You're going to have to decide if you are really serious about life change or if you just want temporary relief. You're going to have to decide if it's time to be aggressive or if you're just going to slip back into the pattern of apathy, believing that someday you'll get serious, but knowing in the back of your mind that day will never come. You see, I think one of the major problems that we have with spiritual growth is the simple fact that we don't treat it seriously enough. Friends, can I speak candidly? We we plan for retirement. We spend hours researching a new purchase. When I'm going to buy something and spend money on it, I'm like maniacal. I research it, figure it out. I'm not going to buy a car on eBay if I don't know like, everything there is to know about that thing, right? I'm not going to buy something uh, in, a, in a store unless I know it. And I'll spend hours researching. get in the, the zone focused on something like that. Some of you get up early to exercise. And for that matter, I'm sure every single one of you, I hope you did, you brushed your teeth before you came to church today. Why? Oh, because you don't, you don't have bad breath or get a hefty dentist bill. And there's countless other daily tasks that we do we do in our everyday life. Why do we do these things? Because at the end of the day, they are valuable to us. And that is the problem. And something, candidly, we need to talk to God about, that we need His help to value spiritual growth above other things. We need His help to make daily decisions which set us up for spiritual progress. Let me give you an example, make it really practical. I have found in my life that the best time for me to spend time with the Lord is first thing in the morning. Not that that's the only time or the super spiritual time. For me, that's the best time that works. But I've also found that if I stay up late at night, I'm less inclined to spend time that I need with the Lord. So to be very specific, the battle for an early morning time with the Lord begins by what time I go to bed at night. I and mean, I'm not going to get up and spend time with the Lord early in the morning if I stayed up too late. And so the decision, the value of getting up and spending time with the Lord begins with a decision that I make the night before. When our kids were young and we had to get them all to church and they could hardly even dress themselves and things of that sort, we found that the most wonderful Sunday experience in the world could be ruined by missing socks or shoes, Right? And so therefore, my wife wisely began planning for Sunday morning worship on Saturday evening. Our kids, their clothes would all be laid out. They had their shoes lined up, their socks, their shirts. I mean, if you came in our house, you'd think the rapture happened because all the clothes are all over the place. (laughs) Or for that matter, it looked like our kids literally could just run down the hallway and do a slide and get changed because they're all lined up and nice. Because why did we do that? Here's what we found. We found that preparing on a Saturday evening made Sunday morning so much more glorious. Sunday was important, so we ought to plan Saturday night. The problem is is that I don't think that we think that way that often when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. There, There are things that we can do... But we don't have to do. And I want you to understand that killing sin is fueled by daily decisions that we make related to the spiritual disciplines. You will never kill sin unless you make the intentional decision, I'm going to jump into the river of God's free-flowing grace. And listen to me. And in order to do that, you have to make a commitment every single day that I'm going to make this work. this sermon series will be worthless six weeks from now i'm telling you the old patterns will be back it really comes down to a daily decision regarding your value the value that you place on putting yourself into the stream of god's grace now i've done this entire sermon i've hardly talked at all about the spiritual disciplines and i've done that on purpose here's why Because the spiritual disciplines, we'll talk about four as we close, they're they're really important, but you know what's even more important? I don't care what Bible reading plan you use. I don't care if you memorize uh, one passage of Scripture or ten passages of Scripture. I don't care how much time you spend in prayer. I don't care how many services you attend. If you don't come with the right perspective and the right mentality, it's all worthless anyways. So you've got to understand you need the empowerment. It needs to be important. It needs to be something you're committed to. The form isn't the issue. It's the reality of knowing what the power is in those things. Now, all that said, let me get, talk to you in closing here about four spiritual disciplines that I think really help, specifically as it relates to winning the battle with sin. The first is this idea of Scripture meditation. Essentially, you have to ingest the Word of God. I use the word meditation instead of reading on purpose. Because you can't just read. You have to meditate. You have to think on. You have to, to to roll it over. The Bible contains the promises of God, the promises in which we have we can put our hope in. It contains the truth that we need to hear and believe. And you need to approach the scriptures with a willingness to savor it so reading isn't bad but savoring is what you need to do and you can c- compare it to this it's the difference between eating a big mac and a piece of filet mignon i mean a big mac's great right to all beef patty special sauce lettuce cheese pickles onions and a sesame seed bun right it's great but it doesn't compare to a medium-rare piece of filet mignon. You eat it differently. You eat the filet mignon slowly. You savor it. You tell people about it. This is the best steak I've ever had. If you're at McDonald's and you're like, this is the best Big Mac, people are like, what? they all taste the same anyways, you know? That's why they're, they're you get the same Big Mac whether you're here or in Paducah, Kentucky. They're all the same, right? doesn't matter. I don't know why Paducah just came out. So anyway, so... But the point is, is that the way that you eat it is entirely different because of the quality of what you're dealing with. When you spend time in God's Word, there needs to be a meditation where you read it, you savor it, that you you, you treat it as, look, this is the Word of God, therefore I'm going to read it slowly and carefully. On our blog, we're, I, I, we have four different articles there and suggestions of, to help you in terms of Bible reading plan, how to memorize Scripture, how to pray, and uh, what it means to... Um, reflect on the way that the Word of God can change your life. I'd commend those four articles to you. You can benefit greatly of giving you some practical suggestions in all these areas. Here's the next one, and that is the matter of prayer. Prayer is simply communion with God. It's like what Jesus did in John 17, just pour out His heart to the Lord. In my own experience, I have found prayer to be... Um, magnified and, and growing with four different things. First, I use a typical outline, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. My prayers typically follow that sort of flow. I find that turning my scripture reading into spontaneous prayers is also really helpful and helps my meditation so that when I'm reading, I'm also praying. Also having some kind of easy-to-use um, list of requests that you could just simply read and take notes on. In fact, another one of our articles in the blog is on Brad Schweibold, one of our elders, a system he uses to pray for people and to keep track of that. And then finally, I find that nothing is more helpful to my prayer life than being alone and away from people, and so often I'll go on a prayer walk and just talk to the Lord as I'm walking throughout my neighborhood or in a park or something of that sort how does prayer help the battle with sin it fans into flame the power of the holy spirit as we say to god i need your help today because we cry out to Him, and it's a powerful means of life transformation. Here's the third one, and that is the matter of memorization. Listen to me. If you are stuck spiritually, if you're trying to defeat sin, and if you are not finding victory and you could only do one thing, do this one. And listen to me. You can memorize Scripture. Don't tell me, I can't. I used to be able to do it when I was young, but I can't. The problem is, is that you've not done it so much that your brain is now turned to mush, right? You need to exercise it. It's gotten flabby. You need to pump it up, right? So what you need to do is memorize God's Word. It's the nuclear option. Why? Because it gets it into your soul. As you think about it, you meditate on it. As you do what Psalm 119 says, to store up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It shapes your thinking. Even if it's just a few verses, just get the Word of God in your being. And I promise you, God's Word is true. You store it up in your heart, you will be able to defeat sin like you've never been able to defeat it before. And then finally, it's the matter of journaling. I've said this before, the problem with our thinking is that we don't think about our thinking. I'm a raving fan of journaling because it allows me to carefully examine what God is saying to me in his word. It allows me to examine the things that I need to be praying about. It causes me to think about what I'm thinking. It causes me to think about what's happening in my day and how it relates to God's will and how does it affect the effectiveness of killing sin? Journaling forces me to take inventory and to examine myself. To ask myself, Mark, what are you thinking? Sometimes when I'm worried or struggling with anxiety or fearful, I'll just write out what I'm fearful about. And then I read it and I'm like, I'm worried about that? It's nothing. It allows my mind and heart to be at peace as I take inventory of what's really going on within my soul. Look, friends, there's lots of other disciplines, things like fasting and solitude stewardship worship serving evangelism they're all wonderful disciplines if you want to explore this even further which i would commend you in in doing commend you to do look at a book like disciplines of the christian life by donald whitney or the disciplines of a godly man by r kent hughes they're helpful in caring for your soul and then also in learning how to defeat sin the point is not the individual disciplines The point of everything that we're talking about this morning is simply this. Killing sin is fueled by daily decisions related to the spiritual disciplines. Be killing sin or it will be killing you is as practical as what you decide to do tonight so that you have time to do tomorrow morning. It's as practical as what you do on your drive into work. It's as practical as what you do for 15 minutes as you go into your lunch hour and say, you know what, I'm going to take a few minutes and just spend it with the Lord. It's one decision that you make every single day as you jump into this river one day at a time. What I'm arguing for here, friends, is that you would see that you're in a battle. A battle far more than what we may even realize. There is strength in the Lord. There is strength beyond ourselves. This battle that we're in requires belief, but it also requires hard work. A battle that is waged waged every single day. One decision as we use the weapons of our warfare to kill sin and to render it less and less powerful in our lives. We began this whole series with this singular summary. And this is how we end The battle is within, and daily I must fight. Death comes from sin, killed only by Christ's might. May God help you to fight for the rest of your life, every day. Lord, help us. This struggle, this battle that we are all in is a challenging one because so incredibly daily. And I pray that over time, incrementally, Holy Spirit, You'd make us more and more like Jesus, as my brothers and sisters make daily decisions to spend time with You. Lord, some in this room, it's been a long time since they've spent a substantial amount of time in Your Word. And I pray that today would be an encouragement to get back in the river put themselves back into the receiving flow of your grace. Lord, help us to continually fight sin and temptation by embracing the power that you have through these wonderful spiritual graces. So give us, we pray, the energy, the courage, the commitment to spend time jumping into the river of your free-flowing grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. guys, afterwards there will be some folks up here. If you've got something going on that you need someone to pray for you, they're here to serve you today, alright? God bless you, College Park. Love you so much. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.